Hi everyone and welcome to episode two of Dot to Dot. Today I'm interviewing Emily Gribble, Head of Philanthropy at UNICEF. It's really fitting that we're interviewing with UNICEF today because UNICEF is really one of the foundation reasons that this podcast exists. UNICEF couldn't be a better place to share excellent messages in relation to what can happen within schools. So uh, without any further ado, Emily, can you tell us a little bit about your role and welcome to Dot to Dot. Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm looking forward forward to chatting with you. So I'm Head of Philanthropy for UNICEF Australia. So my role is to inspire philanthropists to support UNICEF programs so so they can see the potential impact, scalability and sustainability of programs that will make an impact in the lives of children in Australia and around the world who need it most. And sometimes that's individual philanthropists and sometimes we're speaking with families and all the different members of, of that family. So myself and my team, we speak with them, get to know them, understand their values, where they want to make an impact. And then based on that, together we consider a UNICEF program that could be a good alignment for them. And once they choose that program, we just really nurture that relationship throughout the journey of the program with reporting on the program. We invite them to webinars where they can learn more about UNICEF or if, you know, if there's a sudden emergency, they can learn a bit, a bit about that or any other issues that UNICEF's responding to at that time. And sometimes we're even able to take the philanthropists to see the programs at work. Oh, it sounds like um, like your answer to that question is like the, for teachers, it's like the, um, I'm a dolphin trainer or, you know, like I've got like the dream job. There's problems in the world. There's people that want to solve them and I connect them. That's just the best. So um, my next question is probably pretty obvious, I guess, but um, what's the best thing about working with UNICEF and in that role in particular? Yeah, well, you actually just summarised summarized it exactly. It's, I think the best thing is that I can, I feel like I can have a direct impact on the children who need it most. So in an emergency or even in our regular programming, I get to speak about the need to the people who have the means and the interest in supporting our work. And hopefully I'm really able to inspire them to, to support those programs and show them what impact they can have. And it, so any success I have in that has a direct impact on, on the children. Um, who need it most. So it's a very motivating driver to know that you can actually make a, a difference. Um, but I also just love working for UNICEF. It's it's an amazing organisation. It's been going for 75 years and the things that it's been able to achieve, you know, really speak for itself. Vaccinating half the world's children, for example, is no mean feat. Um, and it's just, it's full of incredibly smart people. So I'm learning every day. And so, you know, I just feel really lucky to be part of that and part of its mission to reach every child no matter how far or how hard it is is to reach them and, and help them, you know, not just survive but, you know, we, we hope that they can thrive. Speaking my language for sure. It's amazing. I'm going to change gear a little bit here and um, ask you just, just to get a bit more of a feel for you, um, you know, some school stuff. <laughs> so do you have a, a favourite teacher or someone that you kind of can reflect upon that you kind of can model off or, you know, has inspired you along the way? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think about a teacher actually in the work sort of environment, um, and that was probably my first boss after university when I was working in London at the Football Association. And I often reflect actually how lucky I was to have such a great first sort of mentor in my first job. And I think the best thing was that he always took the time to teach me things um, and help me learn to do my role well. 
Um, but he also really, importantly, I, he believed in me and I really sensed that. And I think when someone believes in you, you, you believe in yourself and you think, yeah, actually, I, maybe I can really do this. And, and he, he gave me projects and he just said, you know, you take the lead on it, which is really empowering. Um, but I knew he was there every step of the way if I needed help. And I, I was never sort of worried, you know, if there were mistakes. And he'd often, he'd often have leading questions on the day saying, what are you worried about that you don't want to tell me? Tell me that first. <laughs> but I think it's when you really feel someone believes in you that you think, yeah, I, I can do this. And, and, and that's how you get the best out of people, you know, students or employees, I think it is that feeling of, you know, the person that's supporting you actually really believes in you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think what you say there about mistakes is pretty interesting, you know, like the difference between kind of that fail safe and safe fail environment you know like things are going to go wrong when they do it's okay we just sort of learn from them and and move on yeah it comes from trust and authenticity right yeah this podcast is really about making those kind of connections like this is something that unicef does well but how does that kind of apply to schools um and so one of the things that teachers have um is a lot of competing priorities you know like it's important that you know, my students are attending school. It's important that the kids are, are, are literate. It's important that the students are numerate. It's important that they're well being supported. You know, this kind of, there's so many dynamics that are there. I imagine with UNICEF, when you're kind of looking at, well, where's the need? The need is everywhere. So with UNICEF, it's kind of like a classroom on a much broader scale. So I guess my question for you is kind of, how does UNICEF go about kind of prioritizing? I'd love to hear your kind of insights around prioritization, like why this and not that. Yep, sure. And, and yeah, we like in my role, I get asked that a lot. Like, where where is the need greatest now? And I mean, the the, the straight answer to that is the the problem is there's so many needs everywhere, all around the world. So it's almost like you know you you name the problem and the country area that that feels you know important to you. And, I, and unfortunately, I'm sure I could find a program in there. But in terms of um, prioritizing sort of what we work on all our long-term programs or all our programs are community-led meaning that the community actually decides on the priorities so we support in a very consultative process and we start with the government and then the ministry of health and the ministry of education and local community groups in each country to really establish what what they feel the priority areas are and then and then we work out how we can support them to develop programs around these to deliver so it's really them deciding on the priorities um, and us us supporting them with that. So we work with them on a community-led five-year country program and within that each year we have an annual program plan. So that will focus on where they feel that the needs are greatest at the time. You know, the importance of working with these governments, it enables us to, the, to answer those questions of why they're, why not this, because they have that overarching view of the whole country. They have the oversight and so that you're not sort of doing little piece piecemeal responses here and there they can see where the needs is greatest where to start um, and that's normally the hardest to reach and the most vulnerable communities you sort of start there and you can kind of work your way in we also have a really big research team um, and the importance of this research team is that, that that they can help provide us with the information around the most effective ways to respond to the issues um, and this this will inform the country programs and planning and this just makes sure that what whatever whatever programs we do prioritise, we make sure that they res- we respond in the most sort of effective way. 
and and obviously in the context we work in, you know, emergencies hit all the time, and then then you've got your plan, and then you know how do you deal with the emergency that that comes in, and so the emergency like you know sudden earthquake in Papua New Guinea, that's the priority, you know. So the the team adapts and pivots their programming, and again it's in consultation. We we wait for them to assess assess the situation, understand what the priorities priority areas are, and then then we work out how we can best support those communities. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in I mean any sentence and response that comes back with and then there's an earthquake in Papua New Guinea and we've got to respond differently is um you know immediately mind-blowing. <laughs> you, you talked about a lot of energy into kind of identifying the need but then quite consultative, you know, in and around the solution, but then sometimes the targets shift along the way. I'd I'd love to hear more about that responsiveness, you know, because sometimes in the classroom, I feel like, okay, I've got to get through all of this content by the end of this term. This is my kind of program. And then, I don't know, a global pandemic hits or, you know, something kind of hits across the top and I'm kind of scrambling to find what to prioritize and how to kind of jump on it. So, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that kind of pivot, like that agility. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's just the reality of working at UNICEF that, you know, we we can even from the office here, we plan a year, but we plan that we know that there's things that we aren't planning for, that we can't plan for. Um, and, and of course, the past two years have been a great example. And many of our programs have just changed you know, because of the pandemic and you just have to work through them case by case. In in Burundi, for example, we were just about to launch it. Um, and the, the so we went into a very consultative process with the Burundi team. And, and, and it was just, it was actually a really special moment because we were all wondering what the next few years look like. And we really wanted to speak to the team in Burundi and think, what do you guys think? Like, can we do it? You know, there was so much momentum to, to want to do it and to want to help Burundi deliver this program. So, you know, option A was sort of to work out how we continued with the, with, with the could we continue with the implementation or option B? was you know wait until the pandemic's over I mean the team there was so they're just incredible and they you know they're they're dealing with things all the time and they just said we 110% want to do this Um, and so then it was just a matter of working together and working out how exactly can we do this and that you know that was just sort of the evolution of train the trainer over Zoom and the Finch team, you know, translating all their workbooks into French and YouTube videos and that sort of stuff. So it was it was just an adaption. And the thing that helped, I think, is that just everyone was open to it. You just, you be open-minded to the adaption. And then it's just, again, it's consultation. What, what do we think we can do in this situation? And um, can we keep working sort of to our end goal? Yeah, I, I, um, I, I really like the like the ethos of that, you know, and it's it's hard to keep that kind of drive, you know, sometimes. So if if UNICEF stopped the work they were doing every time uh, there was an excuse on the table or kind of an easy way out or it didn't look like it was kind of getting traction or working, I'd imagine they probably wouldn't get much done. <laughs> it's kind of the same for teachers, you know, like every day there's an excuse, there's a barrier, you know, like the context of in this school or here or this kind of approach isn't working. I'm, I'm interested in sort of strategies or processes that that you might have come across or that, that you might kind of use in with UNICEF around overcoming barriers. You know, I think actually a good example of that is when we were planning our programs 
there's always going to be sort of barriers to how we deliver them. And, and that's where there's obviously a really big focus on inclusion and considering gender in the programs and how you can support the delivery of ensuring inclusiveness in every program. And, and when we're working through those, we always consult the people that are affected by it. So we'll have someone from um, a disability awareness team to sort of look at the program and go, okay, I think these are the barriers that you've got here. You know, the end goal is that everyone can access these programs, but there's challenges because they're all in the school environment and sometimes it's, you know, whether there's access and that sort of thing's all covered in those schools. So I know the programs team at that point said, well, we can't we can't do everything now, but let's start somewhere. So the, the starting point for that was let's build the capacity of the teachers for their awareness on people with a disability and how they can include them in the classroom. So it was a real train training them on building their capacity um, as a stage one as we work towards the end goal of making sure everyone with a disability can access this program. Yeah. So make the most of consulting and then consult the right kind of people and then have a clear kind of logic through to what we know about but then be open you know, to to new information along the way is kind of the, what I'm hearing there. Yeah, I've got a um, like an aspirational one uh, for you to finish off. So the world's moving pretty fast at the moment, and I know you've had experiences all around it, which we've heard a little bit about today. Imagine there's a a, a magic place where tomorrow you can teach every ten year old in the world like one lesson. What would you want them to walk out? What would you want them to learn or take away from that one lesson? Every ten-year-old in the whole world. Oh gosh, that's a that's a big responsibility. Um, but funnily enough, I have a I have a ten-year-old son, and do you know, like I would actually just say, do the things that make you happy. Focus on and surround yourself with the people you make you happy, the things that make you happy, and, and I really think everything should fall into place from there. I wouldn't want to overcomplicate things for a little 10-year-old. I think, you know, mental health is becoming such a huge issue. And I look at my own kids and I'm like, what do I really want from them? You know, of course I want them to have a great education and all that sort of thing. But but if they're not happy, then then it doesn't matter how good the education is or, you know, that they I, I want them to, to finish school, for example, and finish happy. Yeah, I think that's a pretty cool message because there's a lot of... Um... A lot of teachers out there under a lot of pressure, you know, under a lot of kind of metrics, you know, at the moment. Um, and a lot of that, you know, we've all seen the complication of measuring happiness, you know, but like having that as a core kind of belief, uh, you know, I think that's an idea we can all kind of get behind too, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for your time, Emily. I, I could talk to you um, all day, you know, forever and, and learn more and more and more. Um, thanks so much for your time. It's been a, a, an absolute pleasure having you on today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on and, and, you know, just your interest in the work that UNICEF does. It's great to chat to you about it. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Emily today. I've had the chance to reflect on the conversation and a few things that stuck with me that I thought I'd share to close this out. So the first one I heard was identifying need well. You know, what are we trying to solve here? What is the real problem? Once you understand that problem, then we can make a plan. And when you make a plan, make a plan with the best information you can. For UNICEF and Emily, she spoke about being consultative and talking with governments and schools and where it's going to land. For us, it might be students or community or teachers or peers or colleagues. 
The last one I heard, uh, which really resonated with me, was around don't use context as a barrier, use it as an enabler. So maybe we can't do exactly what we'd planned to do at the start of the year or at the start of the day or the start of the project, but what can we do and how can we do it remains really important. And the ethos and mindset that UNICEF brings to overcoming barriers uh, really resonated with me as something that I'll look to engage with. Thanks for listening to Dot to Dot. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a review. Let us know what you liked, what you didn't, what you'd like more of, or what you learned. Reviews help us reach more listeners so that we can keep bringing you awesome conversations about what you want to hear about. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep up to date with each episode as they come out. Dot to Dot is a creatable podcast hosted by me, Ryder Tracy, and produced by Sophie Ellis. This episode was recorded on Darawal and Darug country. Catch you next week.